0: Today, we're going to talk about a law of attraction. How many people have heard of law of attraction? (laughs) Oh, yeah, law of attraction. Um, So law of attraction is basically principles is uh, the principles that state whatever we think we become, thoughts or things, we put enough thought power into something that it could materially uh, manifest for us. So it's very, very complex actually, um, how things manifest. And so I dipped into my little library a little bit um, and had to use some restraint in trying to uncover <laughs> this topic, because it is is very complex. And in Buddhism, how things actually appear, like how karma's ripen, it's actually one of the most complex things that we could, we could uh, investigate. So it's very difficult, and this is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it, is this notion that uh, we can think a certain way and things appear uh, in and of itself, if we kind of simplify law of attraction in, in these very, very simplified terms, uh, it's going to be problematic and probably not be too effective. Um, as far as what we're looking to manifest. And so the first thing that I wanna talk about is why would we want to do this? And I think that this is one of the main, hate to say problems with it from a spiritual standpoint, but uh, it's not like the law of attraction isn't practiced even by uh, saints and sages uh, being around Tibetan Buddhism for a long time. They do things that we would consider law of attraction. Yet they're doing so for the benefit of all beings. They're doing so to raise money for schools, to raise money for temples, to raise money for the centers, to spread the teachings, uh, so on and so forth. So the intention behind it is is very important. I remember they somebody asked Shante about this one time. And, and uh, he says yeah, yeah, a lot of attraction, yeah, it works. He says, I use it to, uh, to get good parking spots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is why I use
0: it. I, I go into the parking lot thinking, I'm definitely gonna get a good parking spot, and I do. He says, whether it's gonna lead to happiness or not, it won't, right? Because we're, we're thinking in terms of, are we building a better dream or are we looking to get out of the dream? Are we building a nice, comfy samsara? Or are we looking to for liberation? Are we looking for freedom? So this is, this is really what we want our heart to, to be. Are we going to manifest things that are going to provide lasting happiness? And so along those lines, I'm going to pass out um, a little teaching on how the Buddhists look at law of attraction and cause and effect. And, and I definitely want to uh, say a blanket statement here that I have no idea how it actually works. And uh, so, so my favorite phrase is, I don't know. I don't know. So I was talking with my amazing teacher, Venable Tintin Shogi, and so we had some contact back and forth. And so uh, this, is, this is from her, from her amazing knowledge on the subject so get a better understanding of, of of the Buddhist view on it and then we could bounce that off of some of the more traditional views of law of attraction. So I'm just gonna pass this around. This is there just like one sheet? And I'll keep one. So the top part the motivation when you get this you'll see it's just talking about what I was just mentioning about are we are we trying to attract things that are impermanent that they're temporary with gain comes I'm just waiting for the papers to come to go all the way around since this world is of a dualistic nature good and bad dualistic nature as soon as we have gain we have loss or we have the fear of loss right There's polarities to everything right so if we are looking for these worldly possessions or things material things innately that comes along with it is the fear of losing them or or greed, attachment, or aversion,
1: right?
0: So, or greed of wanting, wanting more. So, this motivation, are we attracting lasting happiness? Now, we can create the causes of of lasting happiness, of full liberation, full freedom. We could definitely create that too. So, I want to get into the causes and conditions. So, the causes in Buddhism uh, is also called karma, the cause. And, and our karmas have four components. The object of the karma, the intention or thought behind it, the action itself, and the completion. Right? So to actually create a karma, to create a karma, you need all four of these. So let's say to create a positive karma. So let's say in Buddhism, if you want wealth, then you practice generosity, right? So if you see, somebody, or, uh, you see uh, somebody in need, let's say you see a homeless person in need, and so the thought, I should give this person maybe some, some assistance. So that's, that's the thought. And then you actually have uh, the motivation behind it. So the motivation must be pure to say, to create a positive karma of generosity. You can't just throw money at them. So your motivation has to be pure too to benefit them, right? So they, so they may be of benefit. So it's tied into our intention, our motivation is very important, right? So uh, then next comes the actual action. You actually perform the action, right? And then the action is completed. So this is an example of creating a positive karma, right? So that positive karma is going to ripen in form of abundance for you. So this is an example of a cause so this is just the cause so this is only half this is just the cause so for a, the karma to ripen so they say for the abundance to be returned to you we need a condition now this is where it gets a little complicated because sometimes we could be our own condition our own causes can ripen for our own conditions to ripen if that makes sense right in other in uh, for other karmas to ripen, we need others. We need other people. right? So if you want a million dollars, for example, people, there's probably going to be a set of circumstances that needs to come together for you to attract that kind of money from a, a lot of other people. Or if you want to, um, if you want to be successful, let's say, in a certain geographical location, if you want to Uh, Be successful there. You must have to travel there and your karma must ripen there. There must be other people involved. And this is when we get into interdependence. So we cannot by ourselves manifest all the karmas that we wish to see manifest. We need others, right? So this is the actual condition. A condition could be an environment. A condition can be other like-minded people with the same karma need to come together to to make this thing happen, right? The situation has to present itself, right? And also, too, if we're going along with the Buddhist thinking, that they believe in reincarnation. So a lot of times, these karmas will not ripen in this life at all whatsoever. You take somebody who has a strong karma to be an athlete, or, or something like this, and the, the, the condition isn't there because they don't have the athletic ability in this human form, but they might manifest that in a later life, for example. Right. And I'm just gonna read this here, The Right Conditions and Interdependence kind of summarizes, um, well, I actually did a summary of uh, what this says here. Some conditions are created by us, and this is from Vin Bolton's in other karmas manifesting to produce the conditions for other seeds to ripen. So again, some of our karmas could ripen to cause us those conditions. Some conditions for our karma to ripen can be provided by others. And this is where the interdependence comes in. To use a classic example, you're walking down the street and run into a homeless person. Can you help her or not? It depends on her karma whether she could be helped. But it could be that she has a karmic seed waiting as a potential to say, get a place to live. And you coming along and taking her somewhere where she can connect with services is the condition for that karmic seed to ripen. That's the only way we could help people is by acting as a condition for their karma, which is also why helping doesn't always work. Sometimes a person doesn't have the karmic seed to receive help or change. It's complicated, but that's one of the reasons that karma isn't just fate. We can't say, oh, I can't help that person because it's just not in their karma. It might also be their karma to have a compassionate person walk past. So on the one hand, we can't just sit around doing nothing, figuring it's just their karma, and we can't have influence. On the other extreme, we can't get too attached to the outcome of our helping because our actions are only a condition of... Not the cause, mm. and so sometimes when we want help, <laughs> we have to look at this from both both sides too. Like we could be that homeless person saying, "Hey, why? You know, I'm doing all this thing. You know, I'm doing. I'm. I'm. I'm projecting this and, and whatnot. Uh, how do I receive this help? You know, and so it's creating the karmic seeds to do so." I'm going to go through, because the action itself that creates certain karmas, this is really what we're after. Like, okay, so if I want abundance, how do I, how do, I do this and whatnot? I'm just going to read through, and again, this is a more a Buddhist look at what causes what, what kind of actions cause what. Um, I'll, I'll post these two on the Facebook page in, in the next new newsletter. Avoid killing and harming others, and by protecting the life of other beings, we'll gain long life and good health. So what actions do we take to get long life and good health? We avoid killing, avoid harming others, and by protecting the lives of other beings. By avoiding stealing and by practicing generosity, you get a lot out of this one, if you avoid stealing and practice generosity, you get wealth and you get good looks. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Definitely this one, yeah. Generosity is huge. So they say in your next life, very beautiful. Yeah. By, main, by maintaining a pure sexual conduct, we will have a good partner and few enemies. By avoiding lying and talking sincerely and directly, we will be appreciated and respected by everyone. By avoiding slandering and by making peace between the people that hate each other, we will have disciples and respectful employees. So this is old terminology, but it means that you would know, be um, looked well upon you know, by others. By avoiding painful words and by talking calmly and gently... We will hear nice things. So use right speech and we hear nice things. So if there's a barking dog next door, use right speech very nicely, talk lovingly. And then you get to hear sounds like Linda playing music. (laughs) (laughs) I like this one. By avoiding talking uselessly and by talking about important things, our words will be listened. So when we're not just chattering all the time, people will, will actually listen to us. By avoiding greed and by cultivating an open and generous mentality, our wishes will come true. By avoiding greed and cultivating an open and generous mentality, our wishes will come true. And this is something we're going to get into, which the power of a positive intention. The power of a positive intention. You know, the, the classic a uh, Buddhist one, for the benefit of all beings. Our wishes come true when we have a pure intention to benefit all beings. By avoiding having bad thoughts and by cultivating love and goodwill, we won't be afraid and we won't suffer any harm. By avoiding being involved in wrong beliefs, by cultivating the real point of view and by practicing it, we will have a correct intelligent vision of reality. And actually that's a line saying that you will be enlightened uh, it's 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 saying that our delusion will fall away by avoiding being involved in wrong beliefs, wrong view. By cultivating the real point of view, seeing things as they actually are, and by practicing it, practicing it, we will have a correct and intelligent vision of reality. This means waking up the correct vision of reality, waking up from the dream, right? Non delusion. Okay, so this gives us a little overview of, of how Buddhists look at, this, um, at these causes and conditions. Now, next we're going to look into really uh, maybe the deepest example of manifestation. right? So this is from the High Magic of India. This is um, how, the san- the, the, how the saints manifest out of the ether. So we're just going to take a look at exactly how does pure manifestation, kind of removing causes and conditions for a moment, how does pure manifestation take place? This is Orman McGill, who is, if you're familiar, one of the best, uh, most amazing uh, hypnotists and magicians of our time in the West. And he traveled to India and wrote a series of books and he got to hang out with these amazing saints. Okay. This is from Swami Vivekananda. Swami Vivekananda says, Chitta is the mind stuff and the rittis, are the waves and ripples rising in I'm, I'm sorry, rising in it when external causes impinge on it. All thought is but various processes in the mind stuff called Chitta. The waves of thought in, in the Chitta are called rittis, meaning literally whirlpools. What is thought? Thought is a force as a gravitation and a repulsion. It is absorbed from the infinite storehouse of force in nature. The instrument called chitta takes hold of that force and when it passes out the other end, it is called thought. So this is actually the mind stuff. Memory and dreams are classes of vrittis You hear a word, that word is like a stone thrown into the lake of chitta. It causes a ripple, and that ripple rouses a series of ripples. This is memory. It is called a dream. Dream is another form of the ripple, which in the waking state is called memory. Mm. The bottom of that lake is the true self. That lake is the chitta. The waves are the rittis. The bottom of the lake we cannot see because its surface is covered with ripples. It is only when the ripples have subsided and the water is calm that we can catch a glimpse at the bottom. If the water is muddy, the bottom will not be seen. If the water is agitated all the time, the bottom will not be seen. If the water is clear and there are no waves, then we shall see the bottom. This is calmness. This is our true self. This is our soul. Pantanjali, the ancient founder of yoga who lived about 300 BC and established the Hindu yoga philosophy, has millions of followers in India and other lands. He devotes great attention to the subject of chitta and vrittis. In fact, his yoga aphorisms, the basis of his teachings are made principally of references to chitta and direction for regulating the vrittis. His very first aphorism, is that, am I saying that right? Aphorism? All right. Now is, states, now is the exposition of yoga to be made. Yoga is a regulation of the fluctuations of chitta. According to the teachings of the magicians attached to each particle of matter, there's a little particle of mind in much the same way that the fog out of outdoors is caused by a little moisture to attach itself to each of the dust particles in the air. In the same way, one might say a little particle of mind stuff is attached to every atom in the universe so that every atom has its own particular atom consciousness, as it were. When these atoms are bound together in the form, for example, of that of a starfish, then you will have starfish consciousness or if bound together in the form of a bird, then you will have bird consciousness. Or if bound together in the form of a man or woman, then you will have man or woman consciousness. When an object is presented to the mind and perceived, the latter is formed into the shape of that object perceived. It is held that these particles of mind stuff, are mind stuff come together, thus forming the different units of consciousness. It is also held that concentration consists and getting more of these particles into one place. If you can't condense them at a point, then you have absolute unity of consciousness at that point. Because you have concentrated the material of the mind stuff in a matter just as a magnifying glass will focus the sun rays at a point. This, Thus, the mind stuff is bound together at this point of concentration, and you have absolute concentration. It is then that the creative mind may go strongly into effect. And here's what we've been waiting for. Matter may be created directly by mind. I'll read that last line. It is then that the creative mind may go strongly into effect and matter may be created directly by mind. So he's leaving out, there's a lot that goes into that. So, but to summarize we have mind stuff like the akasha the akashic mind stuff this space stuff right the units of consciousness that are attached to this mind stuff and by visualization we could visualize we could visualize an image and we could do so with such strong concentration and influenced by will and prana by energy and by holding that fixed for a certain length of time the saints and sages the high magicians can manifest things out of the ether out of this mind stuff comes stuff reality material stuff now this takes an amazing amount of dedication okay to do this now i'll just briefly Oh, actually my second oh no it didn't so concentration is but one factor so the akasha, the actual mind stuff, the space, the eth- uh, ethereal substance pervading all space. Right? We need this. We need prana. We need the subtle energy which animates and energizes all of nature. So we need the energy, right? And we need creative mind. We need a concentrated creative mind. These are the three principles to manifestation. You need the space. You need the energy. The will, right? And you need the creative mind. So we. This is the basis of all law of attraction, right? So. All of us, we have the, the akasha. This is just all pervading. Right? So they say, hold your thought on a certain object with concentration, and will it to be so. So this is energy follows will. So we have energy. We, have, we place our energy somewhere, and then prana automatically follows this life force. Right? Now, let's say if you're studying this, if you're, if you, if you're uh, in India and you're born into this caste system of magicians, you're going to start out a small, small child and they're going to give you a rose, right? And you're going to spend years, maybe nine, ten years, to memorize in your mind every single aspect of that rose, every single aspect with amazing dhyana, the concentration, right? Amazing. So it would take years and years and years just to have that that concentration needed. And then you're going to do kundalini pranayama practices for all that time, focusing on awakening the kundalini and providing enough life force to actually manifest something out of it. It's it's an amazing, amazing process. And so what they do first is they influence the chitta of others. This is... This is like one of the first uh, practices they do. This is the intermediate magic of India. Actually, Venbul Tinnjachoke was walking in India one time. She tells a story. And she turns and looks, and there's an Indian man, and he's all in white, and he takes out all these daggers and swords and stuff. And he takes these knives and he just starts plunging himself I mean, just plunging them into his body, all over, and blood is coming in, and she's like. What, what is happening? I cannot believe this is happening. And of course, it wasn't happening. What he was doing, and they call this the circle of influence. Usually, they draw a big circle, and people come into the circle, and actually, he's just sitting there meditating. He's not doing anything. Yet, he is telling them with his mind, influencing their mind stuff, that they're actually seeing this, but actually nothing's going on, you
1: yeah.
0: know? The East Indian rope trick is the most famous one. Maybe people are familiar with that, where they actually take this child and they cut him all up in a basket, you know, and they throw him up and they put a rope in the air just sitting there, they, and then he disappears into the sky. Well, um, actually, yeah, they, they take the child and they put him in a basket. He disappears up a rope that's actually just hanging in the sky. He disappears. And then his body parts start to fall out of the sky and you hear all this screaming. It's very gruesome. And they take his body parts, throw them back in the basket and they do a little mojo over him and he appears. Right? This is East Indian rope trick. Right? But nothing actually ever happens. If you're outside the circle of influence, all you see is somebody meditating. But their power of concentration, will, focus, Extremely powerful. They can influence the mind jitta. This happened in the West too. There's a famous Russian. There's a famous Russian uh, magician that actually went into the Kremlin like this. Uh, he told him the time and day and everything that he would go in there, and he just walked right in, and he was impersonating with his mind somebody else. It's like the the Jedi, right? These are not. What do they say in uh, Star Wars? These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah He's just, you know, Jedi mind trick. That's what it is. <laughs> so very, very difficult. So Swami Vivekananda, you know, speaks of, you know, why would we go through, why would we go through all the, the time and effort to do this when we can uh, put our, uh, our will somewhere else, right? So, Swami Vivekananda speaks of meditation in this way The meditative state is the highest state of existence. So long as there is desire, no real happiness can come. It is only the contemplative study of things that bring us real enjoyment and happiness. The animal has happiness in the senses, the man has happiness in the intellect, the gods have happiness in spiritual contemplation. It is only to the soul that has attained to this contemplative state that the world really becomes beautiful. To him who desires nothing and does not mix himself up with them, the manifold changes of nature are a panorama of beauty and sublimity. These ideas have to be understood in the dhyana of meditation. When the power of dhyana has become so much intensified as as to be able to reject the external part of perception and remain meditating only on the internal part and the meaning thereof. This is called samadhi. Abstract diana uh, belongs to the mystics. Concrete diana, diana belongs to the magician. We shall direct our attention towards the latter as we learn now of the power of concentration. So, he's just saying, yeah, if you want to be a magician, cool. You know, you could you could focus all your concentration on that. Are you going to be happy? <laughs> no. If, you, if the spiritualist will, will use it for this, this other thing called awakening. So the paths are similar on the spiritual path. On the spiritual path, do we practice concentration? Absolutely. Do we awaken the certain power of Kundalini? Absolutely. If, if you're practicing mindfulness, by the way, that's a Kundalini practice. Most people don't know. Mindfulness automatically stirs the Kundalini. It just does so in an unforced way, right? So it automatically stirs. So the development of prana, absolutely, right? But we're doing so to reach the the crown center, right? To to move that energy up and awaken the heart and, and do these things, right? So the intention is different. So why are these principles kind of intermingled within concentration and just the development of the cities, the development development of the power? This is why. Because mm-hmm. yeah, we need. We need both. Like, well, we use the same tools, but we're going to a different place. Right? Same tools, different place. So this is actually, so we talked a little bit about how the Buddhists look at it. We talked a little bit about um, how things actually manifest. Um, I'm going to see just a, a couple examples here. I grabbed way too many books. <laughs> so little time. I just um uh... So this is from a grandfather also uh, named Stocking Wolf. He's a Lipan Apache and uh uh, Tom Brown Jr. was practically raised by him, so he has these amazing stories about about grandfather. And so grandfather here is talking about the elements of power. He called the elements of power. So when we're when we're looking to envision something, and he called it envisioning. When we envision something, then we need to we need to have the elements of power. And one of the elements, and I think this is one of the things that's missing, is something he called inner vision. You have to have inner vision to manifest something which is likened to intuition. So we must kind of know on a very deep level and be quiet enough and silent enough to get these hits of intuition to say, yes, this is something that I should do. You know, sometimes we could go off on the wrong path and with all the zeal in the world, but it just doesn't really sit right with us. So this is talking about inner vision. Then one night, while sitting around our campfire, grandfather revealed to us the awesome simplicity of it all. It was all so simple that I actually felt stupid for not realizing it before. He said, The worlds beyond man, the island of the spirit that moves through all things, the world of the spirit, and the realm of the shaman, do not speak to us in the tongues of man, but only through the tongues of the heart. These worlds... Know no words or logical concepts, but deal in languages that can only be fully conveyed through the heart. First we must arrive at these worlds and await their communication, and then we must wait openly and purely, with a mind free of all logical thought. For it is only through the pure mind, the spiritual mind, that we can hope to understand these conversations. So he's saying, this is how he's talking about inner vision, how to connect with inner vision with our high intuition. And he's gonna use an example here of of when um, inner vision maybe had a, or has dad had a problem connecting with inner vision. I remember the evening that my dad and mom had a long discussion at the dinner table over something I could not understand at the time. My father had told my mother that someone he knew from the business had offered him a partnership. My dad said that to buy this partnership would take all of his money they had and they would probably have to remortgage the house. I could see the anguish on my mother's face as my dad spoke, especially when my dad told her that most people felt that this new business venture would probably fail. That would mean that my dad would lose everything if he invested in this partnership though they did not argue about it they discussed it well into the night my mother did not think that it was a good idea and my father wanted to take the chance they had a dilemma that could not that they had a dilemma that could not be broken finally the next day at breakfast my mom and dad began to talk about the partnership purchase again they both agreed that now was not the time or it was not worth the big risk because there was such a good chance that the business would probably fail. However, the last thing that my dad said to my mom before he left for work was that he was going to turn the deal down, but his intuition was telling him to buy into the new business. I clearly remember him saying, intuition is telling me to buy into it, and that stuck in my mind for a long time. Looking back at it now, that grandfather had told us how inner vision worked, I knew that my father also had inner vision that day of the decision not to go into the partnership. as it turned out, if my dad had bought into the partnership, he would have worked only a year then probably retired for the rest of his life. The man who did eventually the man who did eventually buy in made millions of dollars in just a few years. I told grandfather this story, and he said, "This intuition is a form of inner vision that your father did not act upon." You see, grandson, this society you live in does not condone that type of thinking or feeling. Everyone had told your father that he should not go into the new business because it would most probably fail. But somewhere deep inside your father, he knew that this would be a chance of a lifetime and it felt right to him. This feeling of intuition he had was right, but his logical mind had crushed it and set it aside. He listened to his logical mind instead of his heart. However, and this is important, Your father was right in his decision because he cannot really trust his intuition. In order to be trusted, intuition must come to him through the pure and spiritual mind. Otherwise, it becomes distorted and many times interpreted wrongly. This is why modern society looks down on the use of intuition for the final analysis. It cannot really be trusted with a logical mind as a filter. Grandfather then warned us sternly saying, the inner vision should not be used for self gain. For that is a step to the dark side of spirit. Inner vision should only be used for things outside of yourself, where there is no self-gain involved. You should never even think of asking inner vision for answers that involve the self, only for things that will help others and your earth mother. If the spirit world or the world of the spirit that moves through all things needs to communicate to you on a personal level for your personal good, then it must come from these worlds. And he goes on to say that even the most mundane thing that you think you're doing for yourself, do it for the, for the purpose of all beings. He, w- If he taught Tom Brown how to make an arrowhead, they would do it for the benefit of all beings. That maybe sometimes he would have to use this skill to help another human being. That's how they would learn the skills. Everything. right, For the benefit of others. Right? So... I think that this is missed sometimes, these, these elements of, of power, if, if, if you wanna use that word, is this intuition and the purpose beyond self, right? They say that if we have a purpose beyond self, then all beings are on our side. All beings are pulling for us to succeed, whether they know it or not, right? If our intention is pure, then we have the support of all beings. Mm. Even little spiders on your side saying, come on, you can do it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it can be a simple thing. Like I mentioned before, Lama Zopa, you know, before he eats, he eats for the benefit of all beings. So To sustain the physical body so I can be around to help others, mm. right? Oh. This is why I eat, this is why I sleep, right? This is why I, I breathe, right? Be of service to others. Yeah. So I definitely want to leave enough time uh, for us to discuss. I can go on and on. But I think that's enough uh, for me yapping.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, it's a big room. I think we have some people in the back, maybe in the back, doing massage. I know it's going to be really hard. They're, they know that we're here and whatnot. But um, I really want, because I know there's such a wealth of information, in this group. I want us to be able to talk um, between ourselves and open it up to Q and A. And so maybe we could pull off into the sides and whatnot and and get into groups of no bigger than four and use your inside voices, like, like 30 people in a room inside voice or something. <laughs>